Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Abib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting spiritual, philosophical, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. This week, I'm joined by spiritual teacher and author Daniel Joseph to talk about Christian occultism. Daniel is uh, the author of Swimming with the Whale and Diving with the Whale, and he is a student of Daskalosis, a Cypriot spiritual teacher who lived until 1995. I think that this episode is actually really vital, and I'm very excited to put it out, not the least of which because Daniel has taught me so much about spiritual practice and spiritual thought, spiritual engagement. And that all comes through the stream of Daskalosis teachings. Now, you're going to hear a lot about Daskalos and the group that carries out his work, Researchers of Truth, through this episode. So I'm not going to talk about him too much. I'm not going to give too much of an introduction. But if you want to learn more, you can go to researchersoftruth.org and check out what they're doing. Um, we talk about a whole lot of things, meditation, the sort of urgent task of contemplation, meditation, practice, and uh, just study, really, of these spiritual principles. And I try to make sure that we keep it in a really sort of grounded way that people can understand and listen to and, you know, accept or reject out of their own freedom. But uh, I'm very happy to present this episode to you because I think it's really needed, and I haven't really done one that is directly about uh, esoteric Christianity yet. Um, I did another episode on magic with... Uh, Gordon White, who hosts the Rune Soup podcast, but as far as doing very directly occult episodes, um, even though the occult sort of runs through everything that happens on this show, I don't go at it directly quite so much, because I know that a lot of people feel alienated when you start talking about spiritual principles. That's why Daniel and I actually spend some time talking about that very topic, um, in regards to Daskalos' teachings and what value they might have in our lives. This is the part of the intro on other shows where they tell you about their corporate sponsors. I don't have any, so I ask you to consider paying for this podcast. Uh, people don't really think to pay for their podcast because they're free, and I want the podcast to continue to be free. I'm very excited that it's available to so many people and that the listenership is growing. That's awesome. Hello. Thank you for listening. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib and contribute. Uh, you can contribute as little as $3 a month, and you always get cool stuff back for signing up and being a part of this mission of mine. Okay, that's it for now. Uh, I'm very excited to present this episode to you with Daniel Joseph. Here we go. everybody. It's Against Everyone with Connor Beeb. I'm so excited to be here with Daniel Joseph. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes. And um, so I talked a little bit about Daskalos in the intro, um, and we'll be talking about him a lot in the show as well as your work. But I want maybe to sort of wade in there because a lot of people in my audience, they either won't know who Daskalos is or 
they will have, uh, <laughs> or they might even have some resistance to spiritual principles. Mm -hmm. So like there are lots of like socialist political thinkers on my show. And I'm sure some of those people are like, Connor, what the hell are you talking about once we, you and I go into the weeds here, right? Yeah. So let's sort of go in slowly and maybe talk about how you came to Dasilos and his work and how that, you know, and, and, and what started to dawn on you and open up in you through, through that meeting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, just to frame it a little bit, there, you've heard of the Ascended Masters. Well, there's seven of them incarnated on Earth at any one given time. Three of them stay away from the public and four of them come out to the public. And Dasilos was one of these. And their job is they've, they've, had, they've reached the level of their own self-realization. They, they can be liberated from this world of incarnation if they want, but they don't do it. Mm. They come back for us. They come back till everyone can be liberated. And it's not some high abstract esoteric thing. This is about how to be a better, live a better life, be a better person, and raise your consciousness till it reaches a level of self-superconsciousness and you have your own liberation. Mm -hmm. So I spent all my adult life seeking and going to people like, do you know, do you know? You know, trying to find out somebody that knew. Uh -huh. <laughs> and one day I get this phone call from a friend of mine who we've been on many spiritual trips together. And he said, uh, hey, you want to meet a master? I'm like, oh, sure, yeah. So, <laughs> why not? <laughs> I've met 10 of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, long story short, he buys a ticket for me to go to this island called Cyprus in the Mediterranean where there's this advanced spiritual master that no one's seen on in America. We've heard little bits about him, but no one really knew about him yet. This is 1989. So without a lot of knowledge or expectation or effort even, I just show up on this guy's doorstep and wham, this guy knew. He hmm. knew. He could answer anything and he, he was the teaching. He wasn't just teaching something. He was the teaching. So that's how I got started with him. But I'd seen travel to India and gone around to a lot of different people before that. But when you find somebody that really knows the truth, mm. it's it's totally different. There's just a it's palpable. Click. Yeah, it's, there's a very solid connection you can feel about it. So okay, so two things before we sort of go into what he was saying and what was happening in that space. But like, so one is. I don't think people have, I have, but I don't think people have heard of the seven ascended masters, right? <laughs> so that's the first thing. But then the second thing is, you know, I think that by virtue of Dasculus being uh, Cypriot, being gr Greek, and, so, you know, not, I would not say that they're the same thing, but just for people to get yeah, a they didn't like geography. The same yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just for ge geography purposes. But because he was not some um, Eastern... Uh, uh, culture guru from uh, India or, <clears throat> you know, from Tibet or Taiwan or something mm -hmm. like that. People, I think, in our culture become more suspicious of somebody like that as being a master. Mm -hmm. Like for some reason we can accept that Amma has her own spiritual intensity and presence, mm -hmm. not putting them on the same plane necessarily, but having, but then when it comes to someone like Dasculos, who's closer to our own culture, there's a, a sort of knee jerk rejection of somebody like that. So maybe start with that and we'll work our way back to the mm -hmm. uh, spiritual masters. Well, even in the Eastern systems, they have a bodhisattva, which is what I would just describe to you, where someone can reach their liberation, but they choose not to. They come back to this world of suffering, and they participate in it, and they participate joyfully in the sorrows of life. That's the whole idea of it. 
Daspolis was a Western man. He, we sat on chairs. He, there was no special adoration. Mm. No one bowed to him or anything like that. Mm. It was just one-to-one. -one. Mm. So it was really refreshing for me because I was always been sitting on the floor and everybody, the, the guy that knew had special clothing. He was treated specially, had a special seat. It wasn't like that. You were just with this guy. And he was so present with you. But he had such a depth of knowledge and wisdom and love. Mm -hmm. that it was so different for me than any of the other uh, Eastern people I'd been with before. So, that, Yeah, and so I think I'm thinking more about like the, like, so I'm glad you said we just sat on chairs. We just kind of were in the room together, like whatever. There wasn't this huge ritualistic thing going on to meet with this person. But I think also it's just there's, um, I would say, you know, like I, I just had someone on the podcast that a lot of my listeners uh, know this guy, Duncan Trussell, who is a student of Ram Dass's, right? And mm -hmm. people are like, Ram Dass, great, I can totally accept that, even though Ram Dass is himself a Westerner, but because Ram Dass went and studied with this Eastern, mm -hmm. but there's a suspicion some, for some reason when it's part, when it's, there's a continuity in your own culture with this, with a person. I mean, do you have an idea of what that's about? Well, it could be the, you know, prophet's not recognized in his own country. Yeah, that's yeah. part of that. But, yeah. but also we've had such bad representations of spiritual Western spirituality uh -huh. over over beat into our heads, you know, and we've turned off to it. So anytime, I mean, when I went there and I first started hearing him speak about Christ and stuff, I really didn't want to hear it because I had the bad teaching. So mm. he's what he's done is he's taken 2,000 years of suffocating dogma and stupid religious prejudice and scraped it off Christ's teachings, and he gave it to you directly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the authenticity of that vibration of the truth, it didn't matter how turned off from the West I was. It mm. was truth, and I, I recognized it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, because I've been thinking since moving to Ireland about how people there, just really across the entire island nation, have been really harmed by the form of Christianity that took root. I mean, really deeply wounded in a way that, you know, if you put me in a room with a bunch of atheists, I will talk about uh, like how great religion is. And if you put me in a room with religious people, I'll try to talk about the virtues of atheism. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But in Ireland, I would never say anything good about the Catholic Church in the sense that I know how deeply hurt by people mm -hmm. or deeply hurt people have been by it. So I've been thinking about teachers like Das Galos or Rudolf Steiner, some of these really deeply, um, deeply profound Christian uh, presences in the mm -hmm. world and how that actually can bring a healing to anybody that has been sort of wounded by the form of Christianity that they've encountered before as, well, maybe it's not the Christianity itself, but the form that it's taken inside certain religious uh, communities and amongst religious people. So mm -hmm. I'm just sort of wondering, like when you say, oh, it's kind of scraped off all the stuff, what do you mean? What are some distinguishing Oh, the narrow-mindedness of priests. Oh, you commit a sin, you go to hell for eternity. You hear you live less than 100 years in this world, and say you're a great sinner, say you kill people. Mm. But then that, you get punished for eternity, tortured mm. for eternity. Is yeah. that really a god? Yeah. It's not a god. That's, that's a human's take revenge on people. Mm -hmm. God doesn't do that. So when you see that kind of stupidity that's been browbeat into people. I've just come back from, I'd spent a lot of time in Mexico and I've just been to South America. And of course it's Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. And these people have been just horribly beaten, not, not to mention the indigenous people, but the people down there are so 
tired of hearing the Christian rhetoric that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And it's spoken by people who haven't had the experience. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. That's a really big thing. You must have the direct experience to be able to really know this truth. So what I found, I went in and I spoke in prisons and things. People are so ready to hear it, the truth, mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. all this dogma and religious prejudice on top of it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I was, I was raised a-religiously, um, just no religion in my life. So I was very blessed to not have been sort of violated in this lifetime <laughs> by too. religion. Me you too, too really. Yeah. 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 And so I get, but then weirdly like took such an interest on in it on my own. And I, I, well, it's not weird. It's like I got to naturally and sort of organically form my own interest mm -hmm. in this lifetime with this, with, with those kinds of teachings. And so, um, you know, something that really struck me, and we'll get sort of deeper into Das Klus, but something, I came to Rudolf Steiner, which is my spiritual headquarters, which anybody knows I will not shut up about on the show, but like <laughs> uh, through science. So I had a, a, I went to grad school for science and my professor, um, she basically led me to him, you know, and it had this kind of feeling of, as I encountered his work, a blooming in me it was such a weird I, I'd never had a feeling like that before it really now I kind of understand it more but it was like an opening in my heart as I began to read and it's the same with Daskalos you know coming to his teachings by accident in my mind by accident right. finding a used book like just uh being at a used bookstore and just being like what is this but I'm just gonna pick it up and read it which was the Magus of Strobilos and um having that then connect to all the kinds of foundations uh, that had already been laid by reading all the Rudolf Steiner stuff, and again had this feeling of a kind of opening. And I don't know if, you, like, maybe that's the kind of feeling that you're describing, but it really was like a feeling above my heart, like a flower opening. Now, esoterically, that's been explained to me what actually is happening in, the, in that moment. But then it was just a feeling for mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder if... Um, there's something about the way that religion usually enters people's lives in which it's like almost like a contracting there or something mm -hmm. like that. And uh, yeah. And so maybe if, as you're listening to this, if you feel a sort of like opening or some sort of stirring or something like that, as we're talking about this, this person and, 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 and his work, maybe that's something to talk about, but I don't know if you had a feeling like that, a similar oh, feeling. Sure. I mean, just, I mean, blew you away. I mean, it was like, Oh, the veils came off. He was explaining everything simply in a way we could understand and not with, like, again, with this religious prejudice thing. Uh-huh. He all roads lead to the truth. Mm -hmm. Some are more direct. Some are less troublesome than others. But all roads, even if you want to become the greatest bank robber in the world, <laughs> that's going to open up for you. Uh -huh. And you go, you get that experience, and then experience, well, maybe I shouldn't steal from people. Maybe I should give to people. You you, you wake up. So everything anybody's doing is allowed. Mm -hmm. Everything. Mm -hmm. And it's for, to, for what purpose? To get experience, to find the truth, to find mm -hmm. the truth of who you are and what you are. Mm. And those are two different things. Yeah, okay. So, so let's now talk about, like, okay, so you, you said you meet him and you're sitting in a room and it's just, you're sitting on chairs, as you say, to sort of evoke the normality. When I first read about it, I'm getting stories of him dematerializing his hand and reaching into someone's back and reforming their spine. And that's he did that to me. Okay. 
<laughs> that was the first first thing I when I was there the first time I, I had this question for him and uh, I'd go up and I'd oh, sir and he, oh no, no, no. he pushed me off he was answering everybody else's questions but he would not answer my question <laughs> this went on for a week I was thinking well, what's wrong with me right? it's so annoying yeah totally <laughs> what's wrong with me yeah so I finally go up to him and I said I have a question I'm going to leave tomorrow can I ask you this? sure what's your question I said I've got this stomach problem he goes he interrupts me and says how's your back. <laughs> Okay, I guess. He said, come here. And he takes me into a room. He has some inner students come in there. And he has, starts working on my spine. He, and he uh, says, how'd you break your back? Well, a long time ago. But every year, I'd go out for about a week. I couldn't had to stay in bed. But he starts working on it. And he asks one of the students with me, he goes, how many hands am I using? And the guy said, four. <laughs> and I'm thinking... I need to know more. <laughs> I don't know enough about what's going on. But he was talking about the etheric counterpart, the material mm. hands that can be raised out of the material hands and gone inside the body to work. So what he did, and I've seen him do it many times, but he did it to me, he semi-materialized my spine mm. and was able to use those hands to straighten it because it was crooked mm. and it had been damaged. I'd seen him do it to other people, and he allowed you to touch that spine, and it was like rubber. Mm. And then he would re hmm. straighten it and re-solidify it. And then... You touch someone else's spine? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, he'd have, you know, in the classes, people would come uh, up for help and they'd be right here in front of me. I always tried to sit as close as I could to, uh -huh. as if I could, closeness was going to help me understand. To <laughs> so be the doubting Daniel <laughs> sticking your head in people's head. No, he invited you to do that. He, uh, okay. He, he, he tested, he allowed people to test him like yeah, that and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, okay. So let's like let's just back away from that for a second, though, and say, okay. It's so there are going to be people. Out, yeah. yeah, there are people listening that are like, "What the hell are yeah. you talking about?" Yeah. Right now, for me, because I've had some foundation, like I still, I, I'm like, it, it, it tracks with a lot of the stuff that I know and understand in the world. But even something like that, it still has this really kind of far out, as you say, quality. So what do you do when you encounter that and you, it's new to you? So someone's listening to that and they're like, mm -hmm. what, this is like, this dude is making it up or yeah, this, what, yeah. how, how do you, how do you wrestle with that? If you're new to hearing a bit of information like that? Well, you got to be open up to possibilities, mm -hmm. things that you don't know. Not everything we know. Just think what we're going to know tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Look at this civilization. What we know today is not what we knew 10 years ago. And it's not going to be what we know in 10 years from now. And that's true personally, too. Mm -hmm. So before that, I didn't know about forearms and <laughs> things like that. But the proof of it, what really carries home is the proof of it, is that I had that problem for 10 years. 10 years, I would be laying in bed for at least a week or two every year. After that, it's never happened again. Mm -hmm. So the proof's in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can say it sounds like words. But when you have that direct experience and you have the proof... yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I know. Uh, um, I've talked about this before, but I, you know, I had chronic and really like suicidal depression for a long period of my life, and um, just years and years, and just like three days wouldn't go by where I wouldn't feel that crushing. Like, mm -hmm. and then actually, the the person that led me to Rosh Steiner, my science professor, was like my main mentor. She died, and she started appearing in this meditative space, and. The depression went away. I mean, the depression and anxiety went away. It still creeps in sometimes now, but for like five, four or five years, it was just gone. And this was something that no medication could touch, right. no kind of therapy could do anything about. And it was the certainty, there was just a certainty of, let me say it this way. I think there's, a, there's something healing about the proximity and certainty of the reality of the spiritual world. 
and eternity and the afterlife that even if nothing happened, sort of like even if someone didn't come in and heal you, even that certainty itself is healing. So sometimes when I think of that, I'm like, just her presence being there. Maybe she, she did actually impart to me something to do, like to meditate and contemplate on. But I think even if she hadn't done that, the revelation of the reality that death is not the end, you know, not as just an intellectual concept, but as something that was really present, mm -hmm. that I think also has a healing effect on people, you know? Sure. So maybe it's like, <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's part of it too, is just like, well, we can tell you about this until we're blue in the face about someone reaching in to your back or a spirit appearing to me. And yet, um, there is something about the uh, the real proximity and presence and being aware of it that it, it is important too. So it doesn't really matter how open we tell people to be or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, the tr honest thing is the truth is in us. Uh -huh. It's all that's in us, but it's covered over by these layers of our personality, mm -hmm. our interests and desires, especially the interest to the outer world. Mm -hmm. We're so distracted in the outer world, we've never searched inside to see what's in there. Mm -hmm. And we have to balance. We need to be in the outer world, but we need to investigate in the inner world too mm -hmm. and so what happens is when he talks to you about this or in any any sincere spiritual teaching i'm sure everybody listening has had this to some degree um it'll be said it's like i feel like i already knew that yet mm. you've never heard it with your ears before but it just rings true mm -hmm. that's because it's in you the truth of everything is in us mm -hmm. in where our head our heart our liver Hmm. It's in our divine nature. Mm -hmm. So we're a human being, and a human being has a divine nature and a human nature. Most people spend the end focusing on the human nature, but some of the mystics, the, some of the seekers of truth, some of the, just people who want to know the truth, they turn and they start to look within, and they start to find that divine nature within them. Sure, it may express itself at any given time, but right now, the problem with people is that egoism of your personality that personality nature and your divine nature are entangled and we need to separate them that's why we talk about the difference between the personality and the inner self mm -hmm. and we give experience or meditations to kind of have that direct experience because once you have the direct experience nobody can take it away from you nobody yeah it seems like there's um there's i forget who said it but they said uh you know the um the angel and Beelzebub are the same, are, are as close to God as one another. It's just that Beelzebub has his back turned. Like that's the mm. thing. So, and this word, like per, perversion means, perversion literally means like to turn away, per, like version, right. Right? right? So like in some ways it's just sort of, it's not that you're far from it. It's just that you're looking in the wrong Direction. way. So it's just a matter of sort of turning to face what's, always present anyway which is such a mind-blowing thing that it's just there you know as you say yeah yeah and i found i found that you know it's it's one of the hardest things to remember even though it's the easiest it's like just right there which is you know if i have a question i need to ask myself a really serious question i forget that i can ask myself i don't have to ask like 800 people <laughs> and like go on the internet and take a survey you know what i mean i can actually just get still and quiet um, okay, so let's then take, you know, maybe people that are listening can just take a second and you can say like, well, what's something that you can say, why don't you just do what, something very small, you know, um, to be able to start sort of accessing this stuff. So, 
because you and I are going to talk and go on about, you know, the contents of teachings and work and all that. But people, as you're saying, they do need to have some experience. So what's maybe one very small thing that someone can enact in their life, even if they just want to pause the podcast right now and just do something, you know? One of the simplest and easiest things to do is just to, right now, what is a human being? Hmm. Well, just talking about the personality end of it, it's composed of, we have a body, we're not the body, we live in the body and we express ourselves through the body, so that means there's some other self besides the body. What is that self? Well, it's, we call it a personality, which is what? It's made up of some total of your thoughts, emotions, desires, interests, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. And we are so busy with that. We can't, it's just like a din of noise that we never hear the silent thing. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the simplest things you can do is just sit down and just breathe mm -hmm. a little bit. When a thought comes up, say, no, not now. Just don't attend to it. And what happens is mm -hmm. your mind stills, your heart stills. And then the truth that's already there can be reflected in it. It's very much like looking at a lake. If the wind's blowing, the water's choppy, you can't see the, what's around it. You don't see the trees reflected in the lake. You see all this distortion. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's like for a human being. We're so just, we got all this stuff. Our waters are choppy. So when we breathe, when we stop energizing our thoughts and emotions, that lake becomes still. And then it can reflect the true reality. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's that simple. <laughs> it's weird that it's that simple, but it, it is. It yeah. is. So just take a little time. <laughs> take five, ten minutes each day. You'll discover within yeah. two weeks something will change. And something is important about it that's just revealed by what we just talked about. And that's free will. Mm. Life, mm. the first thing that life gives us is free will. So even as an inner self, we don't have two cells. We have two expressions, an outer and an inner. Even as an inner self, that inner self will not interfere with the free will of that personality. You want to go be a murderer? Go be a murderer. I'm going to let you do that. So you get the lesson, and one day you'll lead you back to me. So if there's one thing you take away from this episode, <laughs> it's go be a murderer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you want to pay the consequences. <laughs> no, but no. So, so there's a really... Um, like one of the best exercises that I found for leading me to the place of like, you know, there's this guy, Franz Barden. Do you know who that is? Heard of him, yeah. So yeah, so he was a sort of magician, occultist guy um, around World War II. And he, um, he laid it out really well, I thought, where he said, okay, so for the first week, before you start getting into all this stuff, first I want you to just, I want you to pay attention to your body and take care of it because this, it's important to try to take care of your body. But after that, the second week is just sit down and I've heard you say this before too. Just sit down and let your thoughts arise. Mm. Mm. Don't try to get rid of them. Don't try to like fight them. Don't do anything. Just watch them rise up. Mm -hmm. Just sit for five minutes. And what he says after that, which I think is really a great exercise is then um, don't try to think anything. Don't whatever. Then after that five minutes is up, just write down every thought that you can remember and try to write them in the order that you had them and add a minute each day for a week. And so it was add one minute each day uh -huh. for a week. Uh -huh. And then at the end of the week, you'll, you'll just see like, this is the weird ecosystem of all these different kinds of voices and images and all that kind of stuff that arise. And you'll have it down on paper. You can see it. And then you can move on to the work of, 
trying to direct your thoughts, trying to stop your, mm-hmm. stop, you know, energizing thoughts, as you said, or whatever. But even in that exercise of that building up, I just noticed like, man, it's like a jungle. Like it's, a, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. If you were to take that paper and show it to a psychiatrist, <laughs> definitely it's written by a crazy person. Uh, right. For sure. Yeah. Me. Cause they're disjointed too. I know. They're all over the place. Yeah. So the way. And I, that's why our dreams yeah. are all over the place. Huh. We can't control our thoughts that well here. So when we fall <laughs> right. asleep at night in the, uh. in the other realms, we can't do it there. So it's like a leaf. We're blown around like a leaf by the winds of karma or something. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting thing to say because we think that our dreams are so weird, but in fact, our waking thoughts are also completely bizarre Absolutely. and unbedded, you know? Just, now, just think, in our dream state, in and after we pass over, those thoughts produce real things. I mean, you'll think of someone and that person will be there. You'll think of a place, you'll mm. go there. Think if you were doing that here. I mean, you'd be in Indiana, you'd be in New York, you'd be talking to this person. It'd be, be so chaotic. Mm. That's why the training is really here to discipline your mind, your heart, and emotions. So you gain some sort of mastery over this, the little self, the personality self. Mm. Yeah. And so why, so why is it then that the dreams have like a different quality compared to, is it because the, the, the physical world is sort of cut off? So we're not intersecting our thoughts with like perception? Is that why the dreams have such a different like feeling quality to them? Um, no, we tend to think of them as real primarily because, and this is going to, we're going into the deep stuff. Go now, for it. <laughs> when we pass out of our material body, it lays there asleep on the bed. And there's a thing called etheric vitality. And different, this, the etheric vitality has different properties. The ether has a, an ascetic feeling, an imprinting things, and you see the image. And it has a movement. The trouble is when we go out, we take those ethers with us, and so there's no connection to the material brain or very little connection to the material brain. So our experiences over there come back just fragmented and disconnected and out of time-wise, time, mm-hmm. time order. Daskalos used to say, it's like, he said, first of all, there are no dreams. Those are real experiences you're having in the psychonoetic worlds mm-hmm. and the psychical planes after you leave your body and sleep. The trouble is, and this he used a reference from his generation, you had a camera, and the old cameras used to turn it, take a picture, and turn it, and take a picture. You had to advance the film to the next frame before you're taking a picture. He says, it's as if you've take, just held the camera and just kept taking pictures, but without advancing the frame. Uh, so they all come back jumbled, and it's hard to Double, see. triple, quadruple Yeah, exposure. it's just all confused. Mm. So Yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, so, uh, yeah, a few things about that that's so great. So one of the things that, you know... I think dreams are one of the best expressions of the sort of illusory aspect of the material world. Like, like when people wake up from their dreams, they're like, oh, well, I saw so-and-so and I ate an ice cream cone and then I was flying. And I'm like, yeah, but your senses weren't there. Like that experience to you is so real, but you weren't using your sense perception in the way that Oh, go ahead. Interrupt me. You are, but you're using your super senses. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. that's the ones we use when we pass over. But some people have them now, clairvoyance, clear uh-huh. audience. But there are super senses connected with these physical senses. Uh-huh. But we only use the physical ones here mostly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I was thinking that that's, but that's like a really good indication to me of how real, like, we think everything is in a sort of material way. But actually, we have these senses that aren't necessarily related just to the materiality so people think that the world is made up of objects but it's not really (laughs) made up of objects and we know that because we can perceive objects even when we're not touching them or looking at them or seeing them with our senses you know 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So well, I, let, me, let me just yeah, 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 go ahead. That point yes, please. The real and the unreal. Okay, we yeah. think our dreams aren't very real. But haven't you had a nightmare that maybe shakes you so hard for a few days, you're still vibrating from that nightmare? Totally. But yeah. it's some experience you have in this world, you don't remember it three days later. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it proves to you there's a reality there. It could be a beautiful dream. It could be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, I had such a beautiful dream. Mm -hmm. You'll tell people for three or four days. Yeah, yeah. So that proves it's real. Uh -huh. It's just we don't quite haven't reached the consciousness to be able to understand how it works. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the primary spiritual lessons for me in my time. And I think some people get this through psychoanalysis and psychology even is that our thoughts are as real as objects. Like there's a continuity between those two to so just dismiss like our thinking as this whimsical thing, but mm. the world is made out of stuff and that's the real thing. Mm -hmm. um, to me, there's like, there is something there, this, uh, this sort of flowing continuity. And there's a very funny, people don't think of Rudolf Steiner as being funny, but he says this, he makes jokes all the time. And one of the times he says, you know, well, you all came here and you're sitting in your chairs for this lecture. Um, you would all be very disappointed if I filled the room with ideas of chairs, but the idea is as real as the chair. So just so you know, you know, <laughs> like, almost as if he was going to prepare them for the next time to stand, you know, or try to sit in the idea of a chair. Okay. So Daskalos. Okay. So what are um, some of the, would we say some of the core teachings? So somebody that is saying, okay, what's Daskalos all about? Now I know that's not fair, <laughs> but, and I know that, yeah. And what I'm saying is also, core teachings that would seem, even though they're not, seem to be unique to him. So I know that you could say, well, there's love and compassion, really. We can just get to that mm -hmm. and, and down to it. But something that he said or articulated in a certain way that seems to be like, this is really uh, a part of his message and work in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, um, it's interesting you say that because I'm going to do a seminar in Indiana in October on core principles. Ah, it's going to be okay. exactly on what you're talking about. <laughs> but uh, just briefly, um, Daskos gave five keys. Five keys to the kingdom of heavens, he called them. In other words, to be able to consciously enter these heavens, you have to develop these skills. And the skills are concentration. Without concentration, you don't go anywhere spiritually. You don't go anywhere materially. Concentration is a very important thing. Observation. You have to pay attention. Try to imagine a, a sculptor sculpting mm -hmm. something in the material world. If he's not concentrating, observing the effect of his, his uh, chisel, he's not going to do it. So those two are needed. You have to do, have concentration, observation, introspection. This is the one he stressed mm -hmm. the most. Introspection is self-analysis. Not beating yourself up, but an honest examination of what you're doing in life. Why are you feeling this way? Why does this person irritate you so much and this person attracts you so much? What is really going on? So introspection is a five-minute practice we do every night before going to sleep when the subconscious mind is more porous, so we can reprogram it. And we try to find out just a small thing. Oh, I should have been nicer to that fellow. Oh, I, I could have helped that fellow. So then you do, you say, next time I'm, when I am have this situation, I'm going to help that fellow or I'm going to do this for this person. Small thing. It's not beating yourself up. It's nothing negative. It's something positive. And what you do is you reprogram your subconscious mind, and pretty soon you do that enough, and pretty soon you'll find yourself just automatically doing the right thing and not doing a mistake or being unkind or something. Uh, the other one is visualization. 
visualization is one of the most important skills, is to be able to visualize. Now, a lot of people, when they close their eyes, you say, oh, see a banana. Some people can see that, mm -hmm. but not everybody can visualize. So, again, yeah. visualizing is, a, is another way of introspecting. So, when you're doing that introspecting and you say, oh, oh, I, I came to an intersection and I always run in front of the car in front of me. I never let that person go first. So, you visualize yourself letting that person go first. It sounds like silly little things, but this really enriches you. This builds your character, cleans up your personality, raises your awareness, and, and uplifts your consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these things are all, so in some ways they're extremely easy and simple, and in some ways they're extremely difficult and complex, right? So just like if I told someone to go to the gym and lift weights, they could pick up the five-pound yeah, the five exactly. pound weight, exactly. and that's fine, right? But then, you know, it takes a building of the capacity to be able to do certain things with these. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So maybe talk about, like, beyond that simple threshold, is there, like, the, and again, it's complex, but beyond this sort of simple version of it, what happens when just pick one of those and you develop it to a certain extent? Can you talk about that? Well, visualization is, is a great one because, you know, in the beginning, it's okay, not too hard to visualize. But especially if you're a creative person, you do paintings mm. or uh, build things, you know, you have to be a good visualizer. Mm -hmm. You know, a good architect is not somebody who can draw nicely or, or use a CAD cam to draw. It's someone who can visualize the space, see themselves in it, move around, and really get a sense of three-dimensional space through visualization. Mm -hmm. So that's a very practical example of it. But it also, in a, mm -hmm. something that's more beneficial later on, is we, we're not going to live here forever. We don't mm -hmm. live here more than 100 years, usually. Then where are we going? Uh -huh. Well, we came from someplace, or we wouldn't be here, right? So we're going to go someplace. That world is totally controlled by visualization. In fact, developing the skill of visualization is like being born rich when you pass over. <laughs> because you can make anything you want. That, that There's no it's, it's world without space. And it's, it's mm. thought creates. And it creates immediately. The immediacy of it, right? Yeah. yeah. So getting your mind under control, as I mentioned before, but being learning how to visualize what you want means having on the other side. And is that because, like, let's say, so when we die, we don't have this kind of body anymore, right? So if I can just kind of imagine myself now, what would I be if I didn't have this body? So without going into all the complicated layers and subtle bodies and all that kind of stuff, if I just sort of imagine myself without having this body, I can sort of imagine, all right, well, I have these, these thoughts and these images and these feelings. So if I didn't have this body, like the presence of reality would just be that would just be the thoughts and the feelings and, and the images. No. No. Okay. No. We have three bodies. Yeah. Material body, body of emotions, the psychical body, yeah. body of thoughts, the mental body or noetical body. So when we die, we lose the material body, but we don't lose those other two bodies. Right. Those are the bodies of thoughts and feelings. So what's it look like? Well, it looks just like this body. Uh -huh. It looks like a better version of this body, more luminous, more radiant. And, there are in this teaching we go through out-of-body experiences second out-of-body experience leaving the psychical body existing only in the noetical body and the third out-of-body experience out of the noetical body then you don't have a body mm. what are you then mm. what are you without a body what are you within now you don't have your thoughts and emotions either mm -hmm. so what are you without <laughs> your thoughts and emotions yes yeah, so who is connor then <laughs> or I mean, is there a connor then 
Yeah, I mean, would that be that wouldn't I wouldn't have the same name, you know, what I mean? <laughs> or or any. You would have sort of the same name. Now the name is. Oh, I see. The name is telling us everything. We're telling us all the time, and nobody pays <laughs> attention to it. Somebody <laughs> says, "Who are you?" Say, "I am Connor." Ah. Uh. I is the spirit. Ah. Uh. M is the soul. Connor's the personality, which is a just one lifetime expression of the soul. Mm. Next lifetime, you might be named Ahmed. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Something else. You'll have different personality, different <laughs> thoughts and feelings. But at the core, it's going to be the same because it's each incarnation is like the like a new chapter in a book. It continues the story that you've done before mm. until you reach the conclusion. Mm. Well, so, okay. So then when we're talking about the immediacy in the, in the life between lives, so when I die before I'm reborn again, the immediacy of I think and it appears before me. So what is that immediacy then? Because I was trying to sort of just figure it out as like, well, if I don't have what I'm saying is my physical body and I just have these thoughts, well, then everything is just sort of like showing up and rushing up. There's not the limiting aspect of the physical world because that's how I really, I mean, as infinite and amazing as the physical world is, it's also sort of a limiting mechanism sure. in a way that allows development and enlightenment to happen at this address because it's limited. So something can happen and it can develop in it, you mm -hmm. know, but the, but when I'm thinking of what it would be like to not have this um, sort of limiting mechanism, I'm thinking, well, all the thoughts would just sort of rush up, but you're saying something different. You're no, saying it's, it's not, it's not going to be any different than this. This is why 80% of the people pass over. They have no idea they pass over <laughs> because what do they do? They just go to the counterpart of this world. Uh -huh. And they have the same feelings, same thoughts. It sort of works the same way. I mean, there's other laws, but um, most people don't recognize it. And it takes them a little while to realize, oh, I'm not living anymore. In fact, Daskalos had a lot of problems. He'd try to help people in that condition. He'd, hey, 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 you're dead. <laughs> no, I am not. I can yeah. slap you. I'm uh -huh. here. Uh -huh. He said, when was the last time you ate? I don't feel hungry. When was the last time you slept? I don't feel sleepy anymore. Hmm. So there's little things you start to notice that's, wow, it's not working mm. like the material world. And then you kind of wake up and you realize, oh, gee, I'm on the other side now. So so you have uh, what appears to be a physical material body, but you're not tending to it in the same way. It's a, it's your psychonoetical body, which is an exact image of your material body. Mm. It has the human form, the five points. I see. So then what's the, like, what would you say then is the extra factor that actually makes materiality then? So if it... If you're saying that, okay, like in that sort of state, we don't have the materiality, but I can here do this. I'm assuming there you can. I'm assuming, too. I'm, assuming I'm, de I'm assuming I'm not dead, but you can tell me you at the end hungry? of the podcast. Yes, I do. Okay, then you're not <laughs> far too hungry. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is like. I can do this here, and it relates to material, whereas it doesn't there. What's the extra factor there's that a, densifies into materiality? There's here? a sense of materiality there. It's yes. not physical materiality, but right. there's a sense of solid, because you're vibrating now at the vibrational rate of the psychical plane. Everything there feels solid to you. Yes. But let me give you the better example. Okay. As I said, we have a material body, a psychical body, body of emotions, a noetical body, a mental body, body of our thoughts, and we are... A spirit soul that doesn't have a body except when it enters into incarnation then it has these bodies but out of incarnation it doesn't have these bodies so the example would be like here's my hand that's let's say that's my soul and I put a thin glove on it that's the noetical body mm -hmm. I put a little thicker glove on top of the thin glove 
That's the cyclical button. And I put a heavy workload on that. Look how hard it would be to type or do anything <laughs> detailed. Mm -hmm. You take off that, well, life's much easier now. Uh, you take off the cyclical button. Wow, it's really, wow, this is what I really am. Mm -hmm. Now, when you put your hand in the glove, you make the glove warm, and it looks like the glove's moving. The glove's not moving itself. It's the spirit soul in these gloves, uh -huh. in these bodies that make them move, that activate them. Okay, got it. Yeah, that ma that makes a lot of sense. So, so let me just sort of take it back now to these seven ascended masters. Um, let's get back to that for a second. Okay, so you're saying you said that there were three in every or four that would be sort of public and three that would not. Yeah, yeah. One why I want to know: Do the ones who are not public remain unpublic? Mm -hmm. And then also. Um, if you feel comfortable, I mean, are there other ones that you can talk about or name? Well, hmm. I mean, they're public, so we can go to their <laughs> if, Facebook. If you can find yeah. them. <laughs> the problem is they don't always let you find They only let certain people find them. They teach those people, and those people go out. But, um, yeah, uh, the reason these uh, the ones don't, that don't come out don't come out, it's like the same thing as a, a, a yogi in a cave in the top of the Himalayas. He's doing great work. He's praying over the world. He's trying to orchestrate the thing from behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So they're working directly with the people, but they are working indirectly mm -hmm. with the people. And that's their role, to be that kind of an anchor. And and you, sorry, just to interrupt, you're not saying that there are only seven of these. In fact, no, there are no. seven in, in a certain in a certain ray or school, right? Well, yeah, there's there's in this lineage, there are plenty of them, but there's seven that stay on Earth at all times. I see. They okay. come and go to the Earth. And now, Doskalos was one of them. It was named in Ledbetter's book. He, he told him that he was coming to Cyprus, this next master. Mm -hmm. And um, there was another one in uh, Syria named Father Hilarion. Mm -hmm. And he worked in Syria. I think he's pretty gone now. I, I think he must have passed over now. Daskalos met him when he was young, so I think he's probably mm -hmm. gone. The others, I don't know. But one thing Daskalos did tell me, 1991, we're sitting in the class, and he said, there's a new one coming to America. Hmm. He's already born in America. He's a Native American. But he's being protected. It's not time for him to come out yet. Hmm. So so we have our service. We're trying to find him, but we haven't had any luck so far. Uh -huh. But, uh -huh. you know, until there's time to come, it's pretty impossible just to go find somebody like that. Uh -huh. So, okay, so then when... So then when you talk about them as being ascended masters, I still don't exactly, I mean, I have an idea of what that means, but it's a rather vague idea, actually, okay. I should say. Ascended master is just someone who's reached self-realization. Mm -hmm. And like the Bodhisattva, they don't, they've, they've ascended, and they can go on any of these planes now they want to, mm -hmm. but they don't. They stay close to Earth. I mean, well, they stay there, but they, they stay close to Earth to help Earth. They, mm -hmm. We call them ascended because they've reached the state of uh, self-realization through self-develop through a kind of development, right? But that development always seems to be assisted in some way by these other teachers, right? Well, yeah, we need help. Yeah, yeah, we need help from someone who's been there and done it. You know, we need an authentic teacher, not somebody who read about it in a book, but somebody who's actually had those kind of experience to lead us out. And he, that was his job to wake us up. So it means nothing more than to take in the identification that you think you are, like, oh, here's Connor, I have these feelings, I don't like this, I like that, I hate that, I want this. All those things, that's who we think we are right now, but it's not who we are. Hmm. It's not really what we are. We are a spirit soul. We are an inner self. Let's call it the inner self, make it simple. And self-realization is when we turn our attention and we turn back and go, oh my God, 
I am this inner self. I've always been this inner self. I will always be this inner mm. self. The personality self changes all the time. You're not the same as you were 10 years ago. You're not going to be the same in 10 years from now. Mm. But this inner self never changes. It's the I. It's the I-ness, the I am. Yeah, you said something really shocking once. Um, I'm Only sure once? you say shocking things many <laughs> times, right? But when I went to the first workshop, actually, let me give a little background here for me sort of intersecting with you because I, yes, I found Doskalos, but then you, you and the research of truth are actually, I would say even a little harder to find, not, not deliberately, but it's just, you can find these books about Doskalos or hear his name or whatever, but then you have to ask, okay, well, who's doing that work now? And then you have to go look. And then there are a few things to sort through, but like really the researchers of truth is sort of the bigger presence and you're the sort of doing a lot here in the States with it. So I was having a sp specific spiritual problem and which was also causing a health problem, mental health problem. And I was just at the end of my rope. And so I reached out uh, to you and you told me to do something without going into what that is. It, it, it helped. I mean, it, <laughs> it took the problem away. You know, I've never experienced that problem again since mm -hmm. then. And it was really profound. And so then I went to this workshop you gave and the workshop was all about love, but then it was really profound and shocking on the very last day you said you were talking about love. And then just like you turned at the end and you said, well, uh, you know, it's really important for you all to just remember that you're all going to die. Or you, you said something like that. Yeah, really? turned, yeah, you turn like to death, like right at the end. And it was like the very last talk that you gave in that workshop. And so I just wanted to bring that up in reference to when I think about my inner self and you say, you know, there's this thing that sort of remains. And I try to think, you know, my inner self is never suffering. My inner self is eternal. Mm -hmm. and I, And then I relate to death. It actually deepens my relationship with my inner self because I think, well, yes, I can think first, well, everybody I know is going to die and this incarnation version of me is going to die. But also, so are, is this building going to collapse? The uh, ocean out there is going to change. The rocks out there, the stone, all the statues, the monuments, the books I care about, they will all fall away and in their way die. But there is something about me that will never. Mm -hmm. And that when I put it in that time frame, not just in the time frame of, well, everybody I love and know is going to die, which I can think of and could be sort of a morbid thought, but in fact, everything, everything is different than the inner self in a way um, that is, that is eternal. I mean, that's really, that's really something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and that, that, that deepens. So I'm trying to understand, is it, my inner self, which is never suffering, exists outside of time? Does it encompass time? Does it hold all of time in it? And so therefore it's beyond time. How is it that it continues to exist while everything else in the stream of time falls away? Yeah, you're talking about the, what the Buddhists call the impermanence of all things, all uh -huh. material things, uh -huh. all psychonoidical things as well. Um, time's an illusion. It's not real. It's hard to get that because we're, you know, paying attention to our clocks all the time. Everything <laughs> we got to go here. But it's not real. Ultimately, it's not real. So to answer the question directly, the inner self is, has nothing to do with time. Mm -hmm. It's in this eternal state. Mm -hmm. It always was and always will be. And the, you know, I said, wow, this is a crazy system. How come it's like this? 
we've all been destined. The, only, the best way to understand the whole reason why we're here and where we're going and where we've come from is the prodigal son story. He comes from this perfect kingdom. He goes out in the world, suffers. He ends up feeding pigs to make a living and eating some of the food. And he's, I'm not happy with this. I want to go back to where there's plenty of food in my father's kingdom. And so he turns and he starts walking back. And at that moment, his father, God, is the symbol, comes rushing to him. That's exactly what's happening here. We're running around here thinking, oh, I get this, I need this, I need more of this. Oh, if I get to become a millionaire, then I'll be happy. And none of this stuff will ever satisfy us because the only thing that's going to satisfy us is knowing who we are, who and what we are. So when we turn, you, people say this all the time, oh, you make one step to God, he makes nine to you. That's the same thing as in the parables of, of the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. The guy turns and he starts to walk back and the father comes to him. Mm -hmm. And, he, and the father's, has been, that means the father's watching and he's been waiting for our return. You call it God, call it super intelligent, call it life itself, it doesn't matter what you call it, mm -hmm. but that is the reality, that's the path we're on. And is that why when we meditate then it feels like a timeless, faceless state because we're actually approaching the aspect of ourself that is not related to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's something I always think about when people say, so there's this sort of buzz phrase that drives me crazy, which is when people say everything is political. Like they say the way you drink your water, or walk down the street is political. Like I understand and feel like affinity with people saying that because they're talking to apolitical people who don't want to do things to like make the world better or see the problems in the world or whatever but it always drives me crazy because i'm like well no i mean there's a lot beyond that too <laughs> when i meditate and enter into these states uh and this kind of this level of engagement with myself that's like the political is not even close it's like a distant like you know anthill or something com yeah. comparatively and so then the response though is well yeah but the fact that you have time and you have a space to meditate in that has a political dimension because you, you know it's this like infinitely like regressive thing and so i think that i think that that's like part of the that prioritization and the idea i was almost like think of it as containers like the idea of someone's container being the size of the political is just too small of a container even though it appears to be this radically large container at the same time so how do we kind of, is, is something that I work on is like, how can we just sort of nudge to sort of push on the boundaries? Because listen, when <laughs> the last workshop you did in Indiana that I was at, I mean, some of that shit was crazy. Like, <laughs> it was like, I mean, in a good way. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. But it, like, it was like, there was a lot of it that was like, oh man, that's like a lot to, it's a lot to yeah. like take on and think through. And some of it was really intense and in depth and complex and just sort of new thoughts, you know, um, for me. And I think for a lot of the people that were there. So, you know, and even, and then you even added to that. You're like, and some of this stuff is stuff you just can't even imagine. There's so much. So how do we inspire that in people? Because that's something I'm always trying to do is say, like, really, like, we have no idea how far out it goes. We can really push on the boundaries. We're so focused on incremental marginal change, but it's there's it's the vastness of the, not just the material cosmos, but beyond, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so t so let, let's go there a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to miss it tonight, but I'm going to explain this. <laughs> so I'll explain to you. I'll say it now. Sorry, I'm shunning Daniel's event tonight. This isn't. This will be up in a few, like maybe a month or something. But it's not because I don't. Want I, 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 <laughs> but as I said in there, it's like what we give. 
the amount of information we give in, a, in one of these seminars is just so much. Some of it's very high, some of it's kind of beginner stuff. It depends on the people coming because we have a lot of different range of people. But it's not even possible to remember 5% of what we say. Mm -hmm. So what's the point? Why am I yammering on all the time? <laughs> if you can't remember 5%, what's important is it goes into your subconsciousness. Not only does it go into your subconsciousness, it goes into the subconsciousness of the inner self. And it's the subconsciousness of the inner self that transfers the knowledge you've gained in any previous lifetime to the new lifetime. So the important thing is just let it come in. If you hear something interesting, follow that. Definitely it'll benefit you. Mm. But the stuff that you're not getting is going into your subconsciousness and will come up mm. at a later time when you're ready. Mm -hmm. Not only in this life, but in the next life. So it's a, it's a, the work on Daskos is broad, and, and the work it, and the uh, effect it has is so vast. It's for lifetimes. It's for you now. It's going to have a tremendous life. You apply it in this lifetime, you're going to have a tremendous amount of growth, and you can't imagine what's going to happen to you, especially in your understanding of what's reality, what's real, mm -hmm. and yourselves, of course. But it, it goes to your children, to the next generation. And their children's children, and their children's children, which it means that ultimately it comes back to us because we're going to reincarnate. We're going to be those next generations. Mm -hmm. So this body of knowledge is building and building and building and building and building. It's other planets and other solar systems have already gone through this. Planet Earth is 14.5 billion years old. Well, Mars was 14.6. There's planets that are much older than that. Can you imagine where we're going to be in another mil hundred million years? Mm -hmm. So all this is building. So this is, other planets have already gone through what we're going through right now. So this is known if you can reach the cosmic consciousness. But this is the first time some of this stuff is being brought to the planet Earth. And it's located not only in your subconsciousness, but just by speaking it, it goes into the planetary subconsciousness. So when, this is heavy stuff, but when somebody really a deep meditator, maybe they're not affiliated with any system, they deep meditate, they go into the cosmic or the planetary subconsciousness and they can get these. Mm. In this information. Is that why some people experience psychic pain or emotional pain because they're taking on the burden of the world? Like sometimes I feel like mm. I can feel porous or not have as much of a membrane as I want and that I'm actually taking on some of the pain that's happening in the world that I'm shouldering some of that burden rather than my own. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that's why people get depressed or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's just a question that's coming up as you're speaking. Yeah, there's some of that. And especially people who are, call them light workers or trying to raise the consciousness like you do with your radio show. Um, yeah, they're carrying a little bit of everybody on their back. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. And especially these guys who've reached like self-realization and can go on. They don't. They come back and they don't have any, they don't have any more karma. Mm -hmm. They don't have anything more to learn. They're here to take some of yours and put it on their back and help you walk with it for a while. Mm -hmm. yes. Because that's the love. That's the whole thing mm -hmm. is driven by love. That's love and compassion. I mean, it's like Christ said, there can be no um, greater service a man can do for his fellow man is to lay down his life for them. But it doesn't mean dying. It means mm -hmm. serving, helping other people. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about where will we be in a million years, I can hear someone saying, my anxious self can say this, but I can hear someone else saying that, well, well, yeah, but I mean, global warming, nuclear war, we're done in 10 years, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, now, I don't believe that. And in some ways, I think like 
saying like it's never going to be as easy as nuclear war like that's like that's too, <laughs> too easy. easy yeah exactly and and part of that is you know i try to think of myself as like uh bruce steiner gives this like great image of you know your reincarnation is like you're standing on a balcony and you drop a flower pot and then you run to the bottom of the steps and then it hits you on the head, you know, like you're creating the conditions for your next life and also making yourself forget this one all at once. Like there's like a lot going on in that image. But I think like, I try to think of myself as like, I try to think of my next self as my kid, you know, cause I'm not going to have kids in this lifetime. Um, if I'm very fortunate, but when I think about like myself as my own kid, like, Oh, I will be, you know, my child. Like, so what do I want to set up for myself next time around? What what can I do, you know, not to like make make myself rich, although that would also be nice, but just, you know, uh to have more interesting problems, we'll say it there or less interesting <laughs> than the ones I have. So um <laughs> so you know, even if there were, you know, a war and every you know, like 80% of people got wiped out, we'd still all have to incarnate again and like deal with all the problems. Like there's no way, even if you die in that to, to get through, but that's also not going to happen. I would sense that you would say that perhaps that one future is possible, but it's not likely to be the one that we face. You mean total annihilation? Well, through like plant, like, yeah, like a really large scale, like, um, through the things that people are anxious about now, whether it's climate change or uh, nuclear war. Those are possible, I suppose, because free will is a real thing. So those are available options mm -hmm. to us. But you don't talk about it as if those things are going no, to happen. For, the same for a couple of reasons. One is every time you think and talk about something, you energize that thing coming true. <laughs> so why talk about it? Yeah. There's enough people talking about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds, not just war and um, what was the other one you said? Well, let's not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it was climate change. Climate change, right? yeah. yeah. But, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities, and those things create experiences. And it's happened before. Mm. Well, we, I think more than worrying about nuclear war right now, we should be thinking about that comet that's supposed to strike here on Friday the 13th, 2029, right here in Malibu. Mm -hmm. And if, we, if it doesn't, uh, if it comes too close and it doesn't strike, it'll come back in 2036 and hit. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of possibilities, but it's all in the balance. What are we going to do in the t in between time? You know, we think, oh, that's just a random event thing. No, people create the mm -hmm. karma that causes these natural catastrophes. It's mm -hmm. hard to believe that. You think it's all some physics thing, and it is physics, but it also human beings have an impact on everything, mm -hmm. everything they do, good or bad. Yeah. And yeah. so if you get a lot of people thinking on it... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it is very clear to me the way in which, so even if you have something like climate change, the way people talk about it with the inevitability of it happening, like every news story about it is, scientists say it may be too late. Um, and yet that's also coupled with a sense that everybody should take complete full responsibility of it. And it's this conundrum that people can't get out of because it's like, well, it's too late. And you need to start doing about something about it now. And to me, that seems like a distorted impulse like uh, or message, which is like, it's too late. This is a foregone conclusion. And we should stop thinking about it in this way. And then maybe it won't actually occur in the way that the, the story that we're telling, you know. So I think, do you think that there's something, it's not delusion, but it's about this moment seen through the stories that we're feeding ourselves that are harming us. 
And that has a lot to do with this elemental, uh, the way of explaining things that Daskos has about elementals. So can we talk about that a bit? Because mm -hmm. that's really the foundation of so much of the work. And it's a really useful way, I think, for people to think of things, even if they don't want to have any sort of, if they don't want to go on the magical mystery tour, if we start naming our thoughts and uh, and uh, and feelings and impulses as these beings, I think it can be very helpful. So can you talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Connor's mentioning elementals. Those are really thought forms. That's another word for them. It's thought forms. And um, whether you're happy, sad, angry, miserable in life, or just so joyful to be alive, it's due to the elementals you create and harbor. Mm -hmm. These are the emotions and thoughts, the intentions, the desires, all these things that are going on in our hearts and mind all the time create things. They're things. Thoughts are things. So um, they create and they go out and they come back and they go out and they come back. Um, if you read Christ's parable about the unclean spirit, he's talking about elementals. It goes out of the body of a person. It comes right out here, the third eye goes out, wanders around, comes back with seven more like it. So you can see somebody that smokes cigarettes every day, that desire for a cigarette every day, seven more, seven more, seven more. And pretty soon, oh, it's too big, I can't do it. Sometimes they come back and they crush the personality they want to commit suicide because they're just swamped by these things. They get so big and so large, and they form into groups that they can crush the personality. They get stronger than the personality. Mm. So if our life's happy or sad, it has to do with the emotions and thoughts we harbor and, and uh, express every day. Mm -hmm. So, in, and it's everything that we do. So you and I are creating elementals by having this conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so how does that, so like, let's say you and I are creating elementals by having this conversation. Someone's listening to it and having thoughts. They're creating something Absolutely. Too. Isn't it getting all very crowded? Yeah, it's all getting very confused too because... <laughs> When I say something, I have an idea of what I mean. Uh -huh. And when you hear me say that, you create your own meaning to that. Uh -huh. And the people listening create their own meaning uh -huh. onto the words. So pretty soon we have this whole big thing of what what are we really talking about? Uh -huh. Am I? Are you really understanding what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Am I communicating it well? That's another one. Mm. It, well, so which is why... so. Um, there's this whole thing about listening and uh, what is this? this? I'm going to get it wrong, but this uh, Steiner quote about the sun. The sun, the sun is a negative space and is through that virtue by which it shines. And so <laughs> like when I think about that in terms of listening, it's like whenever I talk to most people, even as I'm talking, I'm having a rather complex, deep conversation with you now, but I'm kind of not listening to you. And I don't mean that personally. I mean it in most conversations. When I talk to somebody, they say something. I think about what they've said, and then I respond to the thought that I've had about what they said. That's exactly you know, right. right? But what would be when I, I have had real conversations in the sense that, um, I mean, this is real too, but a different quality of conversation where I empty myself in the way that what they say actually shows up in a kind of emptiness that I've created. And I hear something completely different when that happens. I mean, it's just a different... Sometimes people are speaking, and I, it's very weird... Like, I can hear them saying something different. Like, mm -hmm. I can hear them saying what they're really saying. And I haven't really gone at, to, to really develop that quality, but I've been able to, like, do it sometimes in real conversations. Mm -hmm. I used to do an exercise with people, I would say, and it's really hard to do. Sit with somebody and talk to them 
and have them say, tell me like a story of some <laughs> intensity in your life, like something that happened that was very emotional for you. And while you do that, I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to say, mm-hmm. I'm not going to nod my head. <laughs> I'm not going to go, oh, I'm not going to make any expression. I'm just going to sit still. Even just doing that, like it's not, it's not the same thing, but even just taking that step to sort of limit the material, like uh, anxious response to the thing that's being said, it can create a kind of quiet, you know, for you when you're listening to somebody. But it's a completely different quality of of listening, you know. I'm not very good at it, <laughs> by the it takes, way. It takes practice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what happens with elementals then? So, like, let's say I'm really... Am I? I feel like I'm. Something else is being created when I actually take in what's being said, as opposed to what you just said. Like how you describe the conversation is usually happening. You know. Yeah. What you're doing is you're doing what I said to begin with. You're calming down your emotion. Mm-hmm. You're not creating all these thoughts and you know feedback for the person so they know you're listening and you approve of what they say and all <laughs> that. So you're making yourself quiet, or as Steiner said, what was it? The negative space. Negative space, okay. Yeah. Just absolutely quiet. So you can really hear that person. It's attunement. You know, we're tuning to each other while we're talking here. And it, and the more closer we get attuned, the better I understand your questions, the better you understand my answers. And if you'll notice with people fighting, they're out of tune. So, so often they hear the wrong, they, they, they decide what that other person is saying and it's wrong. Both of them kind of polarize. But when you're attuned and you don't feel the need to fill yourself with all your thoughts and then feelings and ideas of what's going on, you can just receive, then you're much more likely to get the real story. Mm-hmm. That was something I had to do when I was teaching, you know, in university was teach myself to shut up. Like the students would say stuff and I'd want to respond to everything they said, you know, and I was like, you might have something to offer here, but so what? It doesn't matter. There's mm-hmm. not an urgency to speak in this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, they can just say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vascalos is present for you still? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't gone anywhere. He's so, here. I mean, where, where are the psychonoetic or where's the hereafter? It's right here. Uh-huh. It's just vibrating at a different rate of vibration that we don't perceive with our material senses. Yeah. Well, and so it was something I say is like when, I, when I'm trying to meet people, um, if I'm nervous about talking to them or whatever, I was a little nervous about doing this interview, really? this conversation with you. Yeah, because you're, I mean, you're one of, you're like a spiritual teacher to me. You know, I don't view you as, you're the spiritual teacher, but you are a spiritual teacher for me, right? So it's an, it's a different kind of conversation with you than it is with someone that is a writer and an activist or whatever that, I, you know, I'm doing a lot of that same work, you know? So I, um, but what I try to do when I'm feeling a little nervous is say like, I just want, my angel to get along with your angel because I know that the conversation's happening in different levels, you know? So that, then I think that Dasklos is here and like, he seems like he could be like, you know, loving and kind of like, what, what is this nonsense you're saying, Connor? Or something <laughs> like that. So I'm also thinking about that in the back of my head as I'm t- talking no, with you at the same time. He never did that. He didn't judge you for oh. your stupidness and foolishness. Not oh. that you're stupid. Because he thought, he thought everything I said was great. Is that what you That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no. What I'm trying to say is he didn't pay attention to the, what was wrong. He tried to help with what you get what was right. Mm. So he tried to energize the thing. So probably, if anything, he's trying to create an atmosphere where we, you ask good questions, I give good answers. Mm-hmm. So why is it then that you can experience him like here and I can't? 
like what 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 is it about i mean i've read the book i feel i talk to him sometimes you know i feel in some ways his presence it's not as palpable as the presence of some other people especially mm -hmm. people i know who have died mm -hmm. um but why why is he present for you in that way but not me and i don't mean why not me but i i mean i mean that a little bit but i mean why yeah. not why not others you know well, you're you're presuming he's not here because you don't sense it. <laughs> yeah, it has. So it's my fault, Oscalos. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, yeah, it, I don't it, mean to interrupt it, you. Really, it's yeah. like you mentioned angels. Okay, don't expect the angels to come to you. We have to raise ourselves up. Our personal guardian angel that speaks to us. No problem about that. But the other angels, archangels. They don't really come to us. We yeah. have they love for us to come to them. So we have to raise our vibration so we can be high enough to receive it. Otherwise, it's like um, it's like your radio station is tuned to channel four, but I'm broadcasting on channel thirteen, or they're broadcasting on channel thirteen. So for you, they don't exist. Mm -hmm. You have to raise your receptivity or your 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 receiver to the vibrations they're sending mm -hmm. to the broadcast level they're sending. Yeah. See, we're in, a, we're in a room full of lots of TV signals. If you turn to one, one exists for you, the other don't exist. You change it, then that one doesn't exist. It's all about vibrational rates. And it's just higher and higher and higher and higher. Yeah, because I think some people get frustrated. I mean, I, I've had this frustration, but I think people get frustrated. Even people who are very involved in sort of spiritual work, who are doing meditative things, they see some people getting results that they're not getting, or they hear someone tell a story about seeing fairies or nature yeah, spirits yeah. or something like that. And they're frustrated, you sure. know, I've had that frustration myself for sure, but it might make them think, uh, well, maybe this is just all like not true because I've tried and I'm sort of banging my head against the wall or whatever. Mm -hmm. Usually interestingly, I think people who begin to do inner development stuff, they still don't go back. Even, even if they say, I can't, I don't believe it. Maybe it's not true. They still keep going and trying. <laughs> you know, like it's almost, you know, there's the saying, like, once you put one foot on the path, you can't ever leave the path. It's too late, you know. And we've never not been and on it, the We've path. never not been on it, right. <laughs> but becoming aware that they the path is there. Yeah. yeah. So um, so what do you say then? It's like, and I think that's what I was getting at with the question of Daskos being present for you. It's like, you say that now we're not dealing with an unbeliever. We're dealing with someone who actually wants to get into this, who is interested in it, who's doing some meditation, is like, well, why is Daskalos not here? It can almost feel, I think, like for some people, like a betrayal almost, or mm. like a, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And in darker moments, I've had those kinds of thoughts, you know, and then I've had some weird shit happen too. So I'm like, okay, I guess something's, you Oops, know, going, yeah, yeah. So um, what do you, how do you guide somebody through those periods? You have to be patient with yourself and others. You know, we can't just jump to these high levels because we read about it in a book. You know, it takes a lot of training, a lot of practice. Um, it's kind of an individually specific thing. I mean, I was with him. I sat here. He kissed me. I kissed him. We hugged each other. We walked. We ate. You know, I have his vibration in me. Mm -hmm. You have his vibration from a book, which isn't quite the same. It's not mm -hmm. as strong. So it's it's probably just that alone would be easier for me to connect to him because I felt his vibration. Mm -hmm. Everything's about a vibrational rate. Mm -hmm. When a master, you hear the Sufi masters, they talk about everybody has a unique tone, which means we all have our own vibrational rate. We all think a certain way. No two people are alike. So when a master wants to find you, 
they intone your vibration and you just show up out of all these other people's vibration because it's like a piano and a harp. If they're in tune, you pluck a piano, you hit a piano key, that same key will vibrate on the string of the harp. That's attunement. Mm -hmm. So knowing the person's vibration and learning how to attune to it makes this more possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about the why, why then would I find Daspos at all? Like why, why, or why did we find each other at all? You know, um, why would people find him? Because they're ready. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's like, you know, it's mm. the story is, oh, well, you know, when you're ready, the master shows up. You mm. mentioned getting a book off, you know, I'll, I'll just buy the book. I can't tell you how many people have told me they've been in a bookstore. The book has fallen off in front uh -huh. of them. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, uh, you've got to read mm. this. It just, sometimes they're just so strange. They find it sitting empty by itself. Well, and interestingly, like, I just wouldn't have been receptive to the book, even having read it. I would have loved it, but I would have been much more sort of, okay. But because of all the work with Anthroposophy and Rudolf Steiner I did, and it all kind of gelled. Like, it was very exact. We've actually talked about this on Facebook. I don't know if you knew it was me that was talking about it, but bringing up, like, uh, what did Daskalos and Rudolf Steiner sort of think of each other? And I just found a quote. Oh, that was you? That was me. But I just he found... He has an alias. I, no, no, no. Well, it's my birth name, which I don't use. But but it's not, I'm not my secret name. It's just my birth name. And Facebook makes you use your birth name. Otherwise, I would use Connor. But the... But the um, I just found a quote from Dasklos in like some German magazine that came out the year that he died. So I think the interview must have happened where he said, there's really essentially no difference between my teaching and Rudolf Steiner's. He's a very like high being and we've known each other for a very long time. And there's this, it's like spiritual gossip really, but how Rudolf Steiner was Aristotle and Dasklos was like Plato or whatever. And interestingly, Rudolf Steiner said this thing about in our time, the time we live in now, that the Aristotelian and Platonic streams are meant to find each other and sort of intertwine and do work together for whatever reason. Now, really? I don't, Didn't yeah, know. so I think that that's a really, uh, that's a really interesting. And so sometimes when I think about Daskalos and him being kind of late in my life after all this, I'm like, I think, well, maybe he'll be the most present or maybe it'll always be this Rudolf Steiner anthroposophy stuff. But the fact that they're together in me is the thing that's really important, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can ask him about it and he'll tell you <laughs> maybe I'm bullshitting, but I don't, I don't think so. But so, so let's just end with like, why take, why take this up now? So now that you all have heard it and you're responsible for what you hear and what you <laughs> encounter in your lives, why take this up now? Why go further with it um, for, for, for anybody? I would just simply ask every, anybody the question, are you happy with your life? Mm. Most people say yes, but <laughs> mm -hmm. there's something trouble in them. There's something, there's a fly in the ointment. Even if they got a great life, there's a fly in the ointment. There's always something, right? Mm. So the reason you take it up is to come out of your troubles, come out of your illusions, to live a happier, freer life. Mm -hmm. And the effect that I think that that radiates and has on other people is really profound when you're around somebody that feels that way. Yeah. 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 Well, anything else you want to add before we, before we end here? No, you did a great job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it felt like I was really uh, exposing myself to being wrong about a lot of things. So it's really good. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Daniel. And if anybody wants to investigate further, um, I 
it's all in the show notes and the intro and stuff, but just it's researchers of truth. Is it dot org? Yeah, dot researchers of truth dot org, yeah. researchers of truth dot net, and the whale dot us. All three of those have free information. And that's where to get um, your two books and the whale. The uh, whale, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Great. Um, well, everybody, thank you so much for listening and thank you, Daniel. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, thank you, Dasklos. <laughs> <laughs>